Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. here on SENZ and the panel this morning, Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. Begin with you, Jamie. We've been talking a a little bit about sanctions and sport and Russia being uh, ostracised because of their invasion of the Ukraine. What what is your take on this? How would it affect us, if at all? Yes, good morning, Smithy. Um, Good morning, Brad. And happy birthday, Smithy. I hope you have a great day. yeah, it, it may seem a, a little bit far away from New Zealand right now, but over the last sort of 48 hours, we have seen the sporting world uh, react really strongly um, to this, a lot stronger than, than I think a lot of people thought, um, given a lot of sporting bodies sort of soft touch uh, with Russia. It's quite clear like right now that they've, they've really crossed the line um, in terms of their, their foreign policy. And like I said, it does seem far away from New Zealand. And you did mention it in that last segment there with Logan. Um, there is actually a, 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 a going to be a, a clash of New Zealand and Russia coming up soon if the Blackfern Sevens do go away. And this is a very high-profile team in New Zealand. You know, they're, they're one of the sporting stories of last year. And there is a very good chance that they will end up playing the Russian women's team in the World Sevens Series uh, tournaments. Um, that are coming up, and I'm not 100% sure whether Russia qualified for the Sevens World Cup later in the year, but that's another one, another showpiece event um, that they, they may be involved with. So I think it's probably timely that the that New Zealand rugby will have to address this at some stage. They pr- probably should do it sooner rather than later because this is something the players uh, will, be, will be asked about, and the Blackfern Sevens are known for speaking their mind. So you know, it, it's it's that far-reaching, um, all the way down here. And then, uh, I guess to a lesser extent, or maybe a little bit further away, the, the All-Whites have a reasonably decent chance of qualifying for the FIFA World Cup, which is going to be massively impacted by this, this situation. So that's another thing that New Zealand football probably have to have to think about. Mm, it is. Uh, it's quite concerning, but it's small bickies, really, Brad, when you talk about the context of war itself and uh, life and death, etc. But it's it's one way, I guess, that sport can uh, put some pressure on Putin, who does who does love his sports stars. Absolutely, and isn't it funny that when when things like this happen all over the world, where it be pandemic or the travesties that are happening in Europe at the moment, sport always becomes like a, a sort of centerpiece and everything. And look, we're seeing so much uh, protest coming from even Russian um, sports stars. Like I saw Andre Rublev um, came out the other day and was pretty strong. One of the UFC fighters yesterday as well was saying um, uh, more more peace, no war. And yeah, I just sport. It sort of brings worlds together, right? And uh, I think when the when the pressure comes on, and uh, you know, like FIFA's one for me. Like, what are they going to do with Russia and World Cup qualification and what have you? Like, they could be the sort of first domino if, if FIFA come out and say, "Look, we're scrubbing Russia from football qualification." Then that would be a massive, massive blow to to, to Putin and to Russians because football is one of their number one sports. Mm, absolutely. Uh, we'll keep a finger on the pulse, the whole world will, actually, on uh, everything that's affected there by the Sevens thing is, 
is very, very interesting, as you say, Jamie. They are, uh, when they speak, people listen, um, so we'll uh, hear about that. Mm. Uh, when people talk uh, about rugby at the moment in this country, uh, the initials RTS uh, are uh, very heavily involved, and of course we saw them finally. We saw it. Uh, what did you make of it, Jamie? P- uh, performance number one. Uh, well, I'd have to say for the first 79 minutes, I was incredibly impressed by, by RTS. It was just an absolute shame that that game ended uh, the way it did with him kind of playing a part in that. But I will say one thing about that missed tackle. He was definitely not alone uh, in, um, uh, in in causing that, that miraculous comeback by the Hurricanes. It seemed like after the 70-minute mark, the, the Blues just turned into a 15 turnstiles on the field. They didn't want to tackle at all. They were letting the Hurricanes just run right through them and do whatever they wanted. Um, but yeah, back to back to RTS. I mean, he did everything right. Um, when he got he got the ball often and early uh, in, in the in the game, the Blues looked fantastic for the first 15 minutes. Um, I don't think they let the, the Hurricanes touch the ball. Um, interesting contrast with the game on Friday night, which has kind of been overshadowed by by that one is that they're, they're very similar games. Um, the Highlanders did exactly the same thing. They were they were electric for the first 15 minutes. Didn't let the Crusaders touch the ball at all. Um, and then the Blues and the Crusaders both put on a bit of a scoring blitz in the second half of both games that should have that that you know did enough to win it. Um, the difference for me mainly was that like the Crusaders know how to win. They know how to close a game out from there, no matter who's on the field. Uh, and the Blues don't. Um, and, and we saw the difference between those two. And so for all the hype and all the talk around the Blues. Um, this year, uh, that that was the kind of key thing I took away from from that weekend. And to be honest, um, the irony of <laughs> Roger Tuivasa-Shek being involved in a Warriors-like capitulation in his very first ever game of um, of, of rugby union. I mean, uh, that's just uh, yeah, pretty sad, sadly ironic um, right there. Brad, how did you see the weekend of uh, Super Rugby? Well, let's be fair. The Warriors would never get themselves in a point, uh, to a point where they'd be 18 points up with um, with 10 minutes to go anyway. So I think it's a bit, <laughs> bit harsh to say uh, it was a Warriors-like situation. But um, yeah, look, um, I hope I hope Rogers and Judge on that. I mean, Jeff Wilson uh, bombed the train in 1994 Bledisloe Cup test, and you know, like uh, the scars of that are still pretty deep for Goldie. So, uh, but look, I thought he was excellent. Um, he he was Roger to a vast check. Like uh, he he looked. He looked superb. Uh, he stood up defensively for, for 79 minutes of that game. Um, what I did notice was a tactical change by the Hurricanes in the last 15, 20 minutes, which was sort of Julian Savia sort of started playing a little bit wider and was actually away from Roger for the last sort of... And, and he had a massive impact on that last 15, 20 minutes. And, and before that, you know, Roger was always there to meet him at the line. And I just noticed potentially there was a there was a tactical change there, which was huge. Because, um, I mean, you know, Julian Sabia got the Hurricanes back in that game with his um with his hard running. Superb try at the end there. Um, you know, typical blues capitulation. Uh I still think they're 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 gonna be a very, very good side. I think the loss of Akira Yuani for eight weeks is huge uh for that team. Um it means Hoskins Satuta is gonna really have to step up. But yeah, um I mean good good weekend of rugby. Uh, the Position starting to get to get a roll on. Um, good to get Minor Pacifica involved. Um, you know, hopefully everything, all the boxes get ticked this week, and we can uh, resume the competition as normal. What else I will say is, from what I've seen of the Australian teams, I think the New Zealand teams have nothing to fear uh, from from the Aussie teams this year. No, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, it's news time here on SENZ. We'll be back uh, after that with Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. Big talk, big opinions, the panel.
Uh, we have with us this morning Brad Lewis and uh, Jamie Wall. And Jamie, um, I, I've got to say, I, I've never been a huge motor racing fan, but I tell you what, these, uh, these two Scots are, are getting me heavily involved in it. I'm talking about Dixon and McLaughlin. And this morning, this great story coming through is Scott McLaughlin in the first uh, race of his second year on the circuit. Uh, he wins it. It's, it's an amazing story. Yeah, unbelievable stuff for um, Scott McLaughlin. Obviously, he's a, he's a guy who's had a lot of expectations on him for a while now and to step up and deliver uh, in, in, that, in, in, in that class. Um, you know, and, and it's a one that you know, we're obviously kind of familiar with because Scott, Scott Dixon has been a part of it for so long now. Um, to have another Kiwi presence in there is pretty remarkable, really, um, for a country with uh, you know, pretty, pretty decent motorsporting sporting background. So it would be awesome if, uh, you know, one sooner or later we could have both of them you know in contention for a race you know a big race like an indy 500 or, or something like that so it's great to see him uh you know competing and and not only competing but but succeeding over there and hopefully it's the start of a like a long successful indy car career for scott mclaughlin because um scott dixon obviously is, is someone that's really led the charge there so maybe a bit of a torch passing moment for for, for both the scots yeah it might well be uh <laughs> The uh, apprentice knocking over, you know, the the, the teacher there or, or the professional. So uh, he's got him. Uh, he's got him this morning. I'm not saying that's going to carry on throughout because he knows the circuit so damn well. Scott Dixon, you can bet your bottom dollar he's not going to handle over the best uh, Kiwi uh, tag that uh, readily, Brad. But the, here's the thing for me. He's adapted that quickly. Uh, and it's only very, very early days, let's be fair. Uh, but you, you kind of sense, whereas Dixon's made his home uh, in IndyCar racing, on the evidence we've seen already from McLaughlin, he might not stop at uh, IndyCar. He might be destined for something a bit bigger. Yeah, look, um, p- potentially, Smithy. I mean, I wrote an article on NewsHub uh, three, two or three years ago saying we're in the midst of the golden era of New Zealand motorsport. And in particular, uh, I-, I threw out that Scott Dixon is the greatest driver we've ever produced, uh, which <laughs> got a lot of feedback. But you look at his statistics and who he's beaten and, and against Formula One caliber um, drivers, he's, he's, he's right up there and look, Scotty McLaughlin is just super talented, dominated supercars uh, for, for four years won three championships in that time uh, won a Bathurst, should have won another one uh, and you know, had a chance to win a race last year when he was trailing Scotty Dixon um, on an oval track, which they're racing at in a couple of weeks time, came second in that, had a really good showing at the Indy 500 was in the top five with sort of 10 laps to go and then had, had to have a late pit stop and uh, watched the race in full this morning and it was an immaculate performance uh, was getting chased down by the series champion at the end there and managed to hold him off uh, but I don't think we've seen the last of Scott Dixon this year for sure I don't quite know if it's the uh, the handing of the torch moment yet um, Dixon's in a fantastic team that has uh, a great pedigree of won three of the last four championships as a team in Chip Ganassi so, uh, and, and Scotty's strength is generally over racing as well and plenty of those to come so Scott Dixon that is so uh, yeah um, a, a great race this morning love Scotty Mack um, and, and love Scott Dixon too I think it's great to have two Kiwis in such a high profile event uh, competing against each other uh, Jamie the cricket tester in Christchurch has uh, reached an intriguing stage uh, I think South Africa spoke to Simon Dole this morning we both sort of agreed South Africa with their noses on front basically basically because they have those runs on the board and there's that target already for New Zealand to go after. And generally what's going to be, I think, a relatively low-scoring second innings. But um, what, you, what have you made of it so far in this turnaround by South Africa and our reaction to it? 
yeah, well, intriguing is uh, definitely the right word um, to put on the next uh, couple of days, um, especially this morning, because uh, you know that's going to have a massive bearing on the outcome of this test. Um, I'll, I'll stop short of issuing South Africans an apology for uh, the amount of stick we gave them last week, because you know really they, they've, they've shown that are far better than that, and they should have should have shown that in the first test. But I just love it how this test is everything the first one wasn't. You know, a good cricket test is one that has twists and turns and 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 can turn on a dime, like we saw with Colin de Gronholm's innings yesterday, which was, you know, an, an innings which had a twist and a turn in, it, in itself. Um, and, you know, whereas the first one was more or less settled within the first session. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think you mentioned that, you know, 250 is about what the Black Caps want to be chasing. It would, it would still be, you know, a fair effort um, for them to get there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to be watching this one with, with great interest because uh, this is turning into a really memorable test match. I had a text come in, actually, uh, Brad, from uh, uh, an unnamed texter, but he's just said, uh, Neil Wagner is an outstanding bowler, but I think his arrogance to keep bowling short to the tail enders when he's constantly getting smashed over the boundary uh, was a big thing. And this is when this Maharaj took him apart in the first innings. Um, but this, this short-pitched approach, it, it can often, uh, I guess, backfire. Uh, and uh, it's... Uh, it's a it's a great story the Wagner one in that respect, but every now and then it's not it's not that good. So tactically this morning, I, I'm not quite sure what Tom Latham will fire at South Africa. What would you be expecting? Will they go uh, Southie and in Henry and Co, or will they go with Wagner right from the outset? I think you've got to start with Salvi and Henry, right? Like, what? How far is a new ball away? Another thirty odd overs, so we've still got a bit of time before yeah. when you think about that. I think Tom Latham's got what fifty runs to play with this morning, and then when you get to that sort of two sixty, two seventy chase mark, that's when you're sort of sort of making the top ten chases in Test cricket history territory, and it becomes like a history making chase. Like, I think mean, I feel like a two sixty, two sixty five chase is is doable. Uh, but Maharaj mm-hmm. showed showed with the ball that I mean he. he he had, he had a few of the batsmen in trouble. Um, I will say one thing, somebody really impressed with Daryl Mitchell in this test, the way that he, he, he played himself in and, and played a really nice innings and, and sort of uh, was a great hand for, for, for Colin de Gronholm in the innings. And uh, it's great to see that when Kane comes back, there's pressure on Will Young, there's pressure on Devin Conway, there's pressure on Henry Nichols, you know, to maintain their spots in the team when you've got, you know, Daryl Mitchell sitting right there waiting for his spot as, a, as the permanent sort of number six, you know, if, um, with Colin de Gronholm as well. So that's the great thing is we're creating depth in this time when we're missing our best player. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Uh, with that, uh, Jamie, next time we speak, I think uh, the World Cup for Women will have started uh, just into, to start on Friday in Mount Monganui at the Bay Oval. So New Zealand up against the West Indies. They've had a pretty good build-up, but uh, this big year of uh, women's sport is about to unfold. Yeah, absolutely, and um, what a good way to uh, roll into it with the White Ferns, you know, showing, you know, probably not that they're favourites, but at least that they're going to be putting up a decent decent fight, which is more than you can say for where they were about a year ago, um, because now you've got, uh, you know, players in that team who are looking like they're peaking at the right time in terms of form and, and ones that when they go out to bat, you know you're going to get some good, uh, good performances out of them, talking obviously the likes of Amelia Kerr and Susie Bates and Sophie Devine, you know, a mixture of uh, veterans and, and young 
and youth there uh, that we can rely on. Um, you know, some question marks over the, the bowling attack, um, but you know, we are playing at home. Um, that, that, that's important, obviously, in, in a cricket context. Uh, that uh, the pitches uh, will be ones that the White Ferns are f- familiar with. So we've got that in our favour. Uh, and um, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be predicting probably like a uh, hopefully a semi final finish for them will be a would be um, I guess an achievement uh, in that regard. But you know it's it's one day cricket. Um, if you can get on get on a good roll, uh, who knows what will happen. Yep. Okay. Uh, I totally agree. I think the semi final uh, at worst, semi final at worst, top four in the world. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, but semi-final at worst, they've got to make the last four. 